Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Corumbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And, Jim, we begin with more good news which means more bad news for Bernie Sanders. Just yesterday, we talked about how the USA Today editorial thought his Medicare for All plan was pie in the sky. Now it turns out a whole lot of people in this country, including a whole lot of Democrats, mind you, think his idea of letting every felon continue to vote is also a terrible idea. So some sensibility is reigning on some of these issues here. Uh, The latest YouGov poll shows that 65% of all Americans disagree that all citizens, including quote-unquote terrible people like the Boston Marathon bomber, should be allowed to vote while in prison. Only 17% agree, 9% aren't sure. When you break it down, it gets even more impressive. 81% of Republicans disagree, no surprise. 61% of independents and even 56% of Democrats uh, compared to 26% of Democrats who agree. That's a little bit different from a Quinnipiac poll that recently asked the same question, which showed opposition at 65% overall to 31% uh, in support. And the Democrats in that poll were actually slightly in favor of it, 50 to 46. But uh, overall, Bernie's getting clobbered on this issue, Jim. So that's not only good to damage his presidential campaign, but it's good that people are actually seeing why felons aren't allowed to vote. Yeah, and I'm going to tie this development and this poll result to another, you know, ongoing development, which is that uh, Joe Biden is, you know, not just ahead in the presidential campaign amongst national polling amongst most Democrats, uh, also in almost all the state level polling. Um, it's a lot of it's coming at Bernie Sanders' uh, expense, and that kind of surprises people. They're they're not necessarily, you know, Bernie Sanders as seen as more leftward of the party even though I don't think you necessarily fairly argue that Joe Biden is, is centrist. Um, it's safe to say that his career, he's generally been around where the center of the Democratic Party is. Uh, and in past, the Democratic Party was less liberal than it is today. When you see, you know, Biden taking off and you see burning, Bernie, you know, starting to sink, some of this might just be the traditional, you know, bump the candidate gets when they formally announce um, but it seems to have lasted a while. And I think the other thing which is kind of intriguing here is that this comes around the same time as Bernie having the CNN town hall where he, you know, asked very directly about the Boston Marathon bomber, um, wasn't willing to say, you know, I believe in extending the right to most, but not that guy. That guy's, you know, that guy's an SOB. Screw him. Um, <laughs> you know, or something like that. They, they, they basically, he's like, no, no, even that guy should. And I wonder how many Democrats, you know, whether, how, regardless of how they feel on the issue, um, regardless of how they feel generally about restoring the rights to felons, maybe violent felons, maybe not violent felons, they looked at this and realized Bernie Sanders is going to make a lot of stances like this. Things that in his mind are principled, things that in his mind are just the way things ought to be, that are just going to sound really far out of the mainstream and put the Democratic Party in the awkward position of having to defend things like this when they very much would rather make the issue uh, what's going on in the Trump administration? Aren't you tired of this? Isn't this, you know, bad, et cetera, et cetera. So the kind of this, it, it, it's really bad timing for Bernie that he made not just you know, a gaffe, uh, very much the Kinsey, Michael Kinsey definition. The gaffe is when a, a politician accidentally tells the truth. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders has answered that question honestly. He thinks that, yes, the Boston Marathon bomber should have his voting rights restored. Um, that not only is that a bad issue, not only is that an unpopular stance, 
it came at a really bad time and it gave people who might have been on the fence about Bernie Sanders an excuse to say, OK, as much as I love what he's saying about uh, uh, equality and, and, you know, socialism and the rich have too much money and all that kind of stuff. I know this kind of stuff is going to be a loser up against Trump. So I'm jumping off the, the bandwagon. Uh, and my suspicion is that's kind of what's happened here. It'll be interesting to see if Bernie Sanders can undo this. Um, I think he's given Biden or anybody else a very easy stick to hit him with uh, future of the primary if they need it to say, you know, uh, look at any particular notorious serial killer and say Bernie Sanders wants to restore the voting rights of that kind of that person. No, that's exactly right. And keep in mind, it's in the neighborhood up there. It's still a very raw issue for people in Massachusetts, which is, by the way, right next door to not only Vermont, but New Hampshire. And so uh, nobody's going to have a lot of sympathy, especially in that part of the country, uh, for the the Boston Marathon bomber. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, as you mentioned, has a a pretty big primary lead, even though he keeps... uh, having different stumbles, he actually suggested that Margaret Thatcher encouraged him to run against Trump. Uh, he quickly corrected that to Theresa May. But if Margaret Thatcher had called him in the last couple of months, that would have been really impressive. Uh, <laughs> Through a Ouija board. <laughs> so uh, just in case you think uh, the American people are seeing the light on all issues, not so fast. I got an email this morning, morning consult poll, that 56% of Americans back Elizabeth Warren's plan to eliminate student debt for consumers who make under $100,000, and 55% support free public college tuition. So still got a lot of work to do here. You know, the other, you know, I, there's actually, you get read a little further down there, Greg, it says actually 94% support just dumping money out from the Goodyear blimp uh, from country, <laughs> from, from city to city. I mean, look, we're up against some very popular ideas here. And I think Gillibrand was proposing that last week. Hey, that's how a lot of people died in Gotham uh, when Jack Nicholson was the Joker. The the Gotham massacre of the parade in 1989. (laughs) That's right. Never forget. All right. Let's move on to our bad martini now, Jim. This has so many different uh, weird aspects to it. Bad is just the the best, uh, closest thing we could come up with. Uh, Michael Cohen, the president's former lawyer slash fixer, the media loves that term, probably true in a lot of ways, uh, is off to prison now for a three-year sentence. We'll see if he serves it all. But uh, he had a cryptic message on Monday that uh, more is coming, and maybe we've already seen the beginning of the more that is coming. This is the Huffington Post. Months before evangelical leader Jerry Falwell Jr.'s game-changing presidential endorsement of Donald Trump in 2016, Falwell asked Trump fixer Michael Cohen for a personal favor. Cohen said in a recorded conversation by Reuters, Falwell, the president of Liberty University, one of the world's largest Christian universities, said someone had come into possession of what Cohen described as racy personal photographs, the sort that would typically be kept between husband and wife, Cohen said in the taped conversation. The Falwells wanted to keep a bunch of photographs, personal photographs, from becoming public, Cohen told Tom Arnold. Yes, that Tom Arnold from Roseanne fame back in the day. I actually have one of the photos, he said, without going into specifics. It's terrible. Later on, he talks about how, uh, let's just say he made it go away, and then he leveraged that into Jerry Falwell Jr.'s endorsement of Trump. Even before his formal endorsement, Falwell Jr. had already spoken in flattering terms about Trump. He told students at Liberty University during a Trump visit in early January 2016, in my opinion, Donald Trump lives a life of loving and helping others as Jesus taught in the Great Commandment. It was Michael Cohen who reached out to Jerry Falwell Jr. to urge him to actually endorse Trump during that visit. According to the source familiar with Falwell's decision, he reached out to Falwell Jr. again after the visit to remind him he had agreed to endorse Trump, the source wrote in an email to 
BuzzFeed News. Jim, one of the things we might be learning here is that Michael Cohen will not necessarily be silent, even though he's behind prison walls for the next couple of years. We don't know exactly what's in the photo. I'm pretty sure we don't want to know what's in the photo, but it certainly sounds like it's not something Jerry Falwell Jr. wants on the big screen at the next convocation at Liberty. So uh, what do you make of these um, twisted bedfellows here? Yeah, so it's funny. If you're of a certain age that you and I are, Greg, you, you remember back in the 1980s, uh, this rise of televangelists, uh, generally evangelical preachers who ended up building fairly significant uh, audiences and flocks and people who were donating and then got ended up involved in one scandal or another. I think, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Swaggart comes to mind. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker probably were the most mocked. Uh, you know, kind of regularly the kind of material for, for comedians and Saturday Night Live. Ted Haggard comes to mind um, for you know, being vehemently uh, opposed to homosexuality. And then lo and behold, oh, it turns out he came out of the closet. Um, and if you happen to be of the Christian faith, you look at this and you cringe because whether or not you're evangelical, this is not Christianity putting its best face forward. This is not some probably would argue that it's not uh, authentic Christianity. If nothing else, it represents flawed human beings being given the temptations of power and fame and finding themselves succumbing to that temptations. What we see here with Falwell is a not terribly unfamiliar, uh, this is a fairly familiar story. We'll see how it, it shakes out. The fact that Michael Cohen is now the truth teller uh, is, is kind of appalling out of all this. Um, I think it speaks very, if the allegations are true, it looks very bad of Falwell turning to Cohen to fix all this. Uh, and also, I think it says a great deal about Cohen that right as he's going off to jail, he no longer feels any need to, you know, keep any secrets. He's going to take everybody else down with him. It is an ugly situation all around. Um, I don't think there's anybody in particular to root for here. Uh, I do wish, though, that if you were in, in the role of a televangelist or, or some sort of outspoken um, high-profile evangelical leader, that you could just try not to live down to the cliches, please? Is that too much to ask? <laughs> no, that's just what happens when uh, you lose track of who you're supposed to be worshiping, when it becomes your own mm -hmm. ministry, your own uh, business empire, uh, your own political standing. Uh, and you could, we could get into the whole uh, David French uh, criticism of Franklin Graham being quick to uh, condemn Buttigieg's lifestyle from a biblical perspective, but he was uh, eerily silent when it came to Donald Trump and his dalliances with uh, Stormy Daniels and the, the Playboy model and, and all sorts of other things over the years. So consistency in your witness is far more important than your political leanings, and a lot of people have forgotten that. Yeah, our early indicator was that picture of Fall and his wife posing in, uh, with uh, Donald Trump in his office, all smiles, thumbs up. And the cover of Playboy with Trump on it is behind them. And, and the fact that no one around them had the good sense, hey, could you just stand like two feet over to the left so we don't have Playboy directly behind you? Okay, that'd be great. Thanks. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And most days, what we talk about in this martini is plenty crazy. This one uh, could be close to the Mount Rushmore of crazy, but uh, we've had a lot of ones over the years, so I don't want to make that guarantee before we get into it. But yesterday was a pretty big day in the abortion debate because the ongoing fallout from the Brian Sims live stream, at least that was happening in conservative circles. In mainstream media, the big concern was yet another state passing a heartbeat bill, this one in Georgia. And the media, of course, already hates Brian Kemp because he beat Stacey Abrams and they believe that she should be the governor, even though the statistics don't uh, back that up. But nonetheless, they're also upset that uh, 
pro-life measures are becoming law in a number of these states, Georgia just being the latest one. So Chris Cuomo hosting a debate that includes Christine Quinn, who's a uh, pro-choice activist, and Rick Santorum, the former Pennsylvania senator, who everyone knows is one of the stronger pro-life voices out there. And so they were getting into a uh, a whole debate over what the state of the unborn child is, because Rick Santorum was saying, well, if it's not a child uh, and you just want to torture it or blind it, you should be able to do that, right? And uh, Chris Cuomo and Christine Quinn are not having that argument at all. And finally, they clear the floor for Christine Quinn, and she comes up with this. Let's be clear here, Rick, with all of your distortions and you horrible tales, first. I answered it numerous times. When a, when a woman gets pregnant, that is not a human being inside of her. It's part of her body. And this is about a woman having full agency and control of her body and making decisions about her body and what is part of her body with medical professionals. Did you get that at the beginning? Let's hear that one more time. When a woman gets pregnant, that is not a human being inside of her. <laughs> it's not a human being inside of her. And Chris Cuomo, of course, being the uh, the very impartial judge here, Jim, had this to say to chide the lack of facts. I think perverting fact patterns, perverting realities, perverting. and trying to demonize what people do, you guys make it sound like this is cheaper than condoms. This is easier than condoms. Right. So just go abort your babies. These are painful decisions for these women. So he's chewing out Rick Santorum for not having the facts straight. Jim, what do you make of this? Wait, so Rick Santorum was saying that abortion is cheap and easy? That doesn't sound like the Rick Santorum I know. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a crazy limb here and say, I think Andrew Cuomo, wait, I'm sorry, which Cuomo? This is the, this is the I would say the not so smart Cuomo, but it's kind of hard to pick that one out. This is Chris Cuomo uh, suggesting that Rick Santorum was contending that abortion is cheap and easy. Yeah, that doesn't, doesn't sound like that. But anyway... Um, so when they say, Greg, when a woman is pregnant, that's not a human being. What is it then? Remember the, the 1980s NBC series V where yeah. because of the aliens, women started giving birth to alien lizard creature people. Yes. I, I know. I, I, you know, look, I'm pretty darn sure when both of my sons came out, look, did they look a little alienish? Yes. They're kind of slimy and cone headed and kind of funny looking, but they are human beings. Trust me. Um, I'm thinking back to a episode of the Cosby show late in its run where Bill Cosby or Cliff Huxtable uh, had a dream in which men were getting pregnant and he gave birth to a giant Subway sandwich. <laughs> um, I'm left with the, or submarine sandwich. Uh, and, and so this idea of like, what is this? This is going to come as great news, or as very surprising news to most parents that what's in your uh, that's what's in your abdomen or what's in your wife is not actually a human being. Now, look, the contradiction and the grand problem within the pro-choice position is that if your friends who are uh, married and you know they've been interested in having kids, they announce that they're pregnant. Oh, God, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. You're going to have a baby. That's fantastic. You're, you're overjoyed for them. Uh, somebody who's not in those circumstances, and maybe it was a one-night stand. Maybe they're very young. Maybe for whatever reason, they're not ready to become a parent. Oh, God, what are you going to do? Biologically, it's the exact same circumstances. Biologically, nothing different has happened. But in one case, it's a baby, and everyone across the spectrum, everyone's very happy to celebrate this impending human life, this person who is about to enter the world. Uh, but in the other set of circumstances, there's this like deliberate aversion of the possibility of we can't acknowledge that it could be a person, because if it is a person, then the act is murder. And obviously, for obvious reasons, thankfully, we still have deep-rooted, I think not just, you know, uh, uh, legal, I, I think cultural, I think psychological um, aversion to taking life, and particularly 
uh, the early, you know, early human life. You know, we, we may argue about the death penalty. We may argue about war. But everyone understands babies are defenseless. You know, a baby on that side of the uterine wall is especially defenseless. And it's very hard to justify in your mind if you think of it as a baby, if you think of it as a human life. Thus, the absolute insistence of pro-choice. Well, it's, it's something different. It's not really a human life. Even though, what do, you know, what do couples when they want to have a child? You know, they, 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 you pee on the stick, it turns blue. They're overjoyed. And they're not overjoyed because there's a, there's a growth inside <laughs> because it's some sort of parasite, as I've heard some pro-choice uh, 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 extremists, I would say, use that metaphor. It's not, oh, you've got a tumor, wonderful. No, no, they're excited because it's a baby, because a new person is going to be coming into their lives, and they're beside themselves with joy. So again, there's this contradiction that they don't want to address, and that's how you end up making these kinds of ridiculous statements that when a woman's pregnant, she doesn't really have a human being inside her, even though there's no other term that would apply as well. Basically, it boils down to the party of science, and I use that term in quotations, says it's a person if you want it. That's yeah, it. That's which it. Is, I mean, there are a lot of people in this world I don't want. <laughs> they're, still, I mean, they're still human beings. <laughs> and see, it's that kind of intellectual consistency that makes you so special in our political landscape, Jim. Well stated. <sighs> uh, oh, thank God it's Friday, Greg. <laughs> No, no, not even close. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And be sure to tune in again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.